0: Say that the podcaster, your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, joining us from a remote location, probably nearby. The founder of Vision USA, Glenn Fitzgerald.
1: I am wearing a salmon colored shirt and I am totally pulling it off.
0: Oh, you mean like the, the fashion way, not removing it, because I was
1: <laughs> well, I was about to cancel this correct. video call. Well, let, let's see <laughs> how the show goes. I mean, you know, you never know. Occasionally <laughs> the wisdom gets
0: overheated.
1: That's right. <laughs>
0: also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. It's true, man. You're rocking it.
1: Thank you, sir. I was waiting for someone to say something.
0: Well, you know. I, we figured that Jed was the only one whose fashion and advice would, would mean anything to you. Well, you know. Also joining us all the way from Rooker, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger.
2: I personally thought it was more of a coral color. Yeah, or it's a, peach, a little bit of a but, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I can see salmon.
1: Yeah, this it it is a it's sort of a coral. Uh, yeah, here's what I'm saying too, and I know we have other things to get to. Uh, it's no, nope, just for sure, uh, <laughs> people on the show know that uh, uh, you know I'm dealing with uh, a medical condition. Now what it is I went to my doctor and I had like uh, 50 things going wrong and I said <laughs> doc what is it and he said decay. And I said oh, that sounds terrible what do we got for that he says nothing. You know <laughs> just old and it, you're just you're decaying. You're you're rotting in the sun <laughs> like some discarded vegetable. <laughs> and I you know I said, "Doc, you know, cushion the blow a little bit, so I did I've been on as people who know the show, I was on fish pills for a long time. I thought that was the right. real that was it then that was wasn't doing it for me, so I went to the coconut water, you know little to no impact on that. Well, I was reading, and the guy the fellows got this on 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 the skype machine, they can see I went on. Online and they said, "Here's uh, I can't show it." Yeah, yeah, I I went, see, yeah. it is. I went online and they said Baltic amber. Yeah, right. And it's yeah. got it's got properties, and it releases things. I've been wearing, and so it's like a bracelet. You put it on the your your wrist. I've been wearing this for like three or four days. Nothing. Okay. Well, I like the idea of Baltic
2: amber opening. The concert for discarded vegetables. Absolutely, those two I bands those are really on the
1: come up. Dude, yeah, you know it. So I'm I'm just dealing with a lot on this show. I just wanted to get that out there.
0: Sure, you. you it was your hope that Baltic Amber was going to be the missing piece of the puzzle.
1: Dude, I thought. I mean, the way the the totally legit looking ad online <laughs> was <laughs> was I it at two a.m. Hey, look, you can't—those if, if little ads they put on the side of a webpage that you're trying to scroll past to see the thing you actually went to see, if, if you can't trust those things— Who I mean, can you trust? Who can you trust? But uh, turns out, fellas, uh, I'm still in an advanced state of decay.
0: <laughs> That's another great band name. Yeah. <laughs> also, a great review— <laughs> Which I hope you leave on whatever website you bought this bracelet on. Shipping was quick. It fits fine. I am, however, still in an advanced state of decay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, that is that is actually a great segue into uh what mm-hmm. a very pressing matter. A matter so pressing, it becomes an emergency.
2: Whoa. Whoa. We
0: we don't like to do it too often, but we must sound the horn of emergency. <laughs> Um, because we don't like you know.
1: to do it too often. No, Every now and we then. try
0: to get right yeah. in there, but we just keep getting interrupted. 430 something <laughs> times running. One of these days it's going to be the nice, going to get right
2: down to it.
0: Give me the nice tight 40 minute show. We set out to make this. Yeah. Um, but the, the there's a, a preceding event and precipitating emergency. The, the event to kick off is, um, Fellas, we're, we're in June here as we record this, and we're staring down the barrel of no sports for quite a while. Oh, no. No NBA, mm. no MLB. Um, being that, like, I think they just reported that 30, as we record this yesterday, it was reported that, like, 30 members of a major college football team tested positive for COVID. Um, Whoa. Yeah, that's not looking mm. great. And obviously, you know, we, we enjoy the sport. And that's it's, it's, it's delightful. It's fun. We enjoy it. But here's the, the other thing about that. I have to have something to discuss with other grown men. Thank you, sure. Matt. So that mm. I don't have to hear their opinions about things that aren't sports. Oh my god! Yeah. Because they're insane.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So here's the thing. In a world without sports, uh, what what do you talk to the people about? And maybe more importantly, when you're older, maybe your male relatives, maybe if you're going to a small group or guys at church, a Zoom call or something, Um they're going to start saying about the crazy things they are watching on TV now that they can't watch ESPN twenty four seven, and they're watching yeah. different things twenty four seven. And I think we need we need we need maybe as public service give the people some strategies for how to rip cord out of these conversations. It's good because mm. they're mm. going to be coming I, thick and fast.
2: I did see like a really serious scientific article that said that that a lot of men are watching. The are watching like uh, statistics on the progression of COVID nineteen as if it was a sport. They're following it like there's a part of their brain that follows it like it follows sports stats. Wow, right? Like it acts in the same way. They they follow it in the same way. It's the numbers. It's the progression. It's the the change. All that stuff in the same way that they would follow like a you know their teams. You know their quarterbacks QBR or you know whatever.
0: I, I wonder who they're rooting for. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think fellas you know we were we were uh talking a bit before the show, you know uh many of us have the the older male relative that normally you just steer it towards the sports thing, but they yeah. want to talk politics. And, you know, my suggestion was, because you, you want to try and shut it down. You want to say, no, yeah, no, no that's crazy. Don't, talk, don't say something crazy. I can never see you the same way again, so please don't do that. So, you know, you, we, we all have tried that. But have we tried just complete and utter surrender? <laughs> and just okay. total... Comp- now, you, I mean, you don't have to actually capitulate. You just, you, you know, hey... Yes, you got me. That's it. I'm I'm on board. Well this sounds like a very
0: low effort solution, which I really enjoy. How would this play out?
2: Well, so yeah, Glenn loves loafing. So that all that's m- right tracks.
1: Yeah, I, I like a good loaf. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, because you you just when they try and talk more of it, you're like, no, no, you got me, you got me. I mean, you don't have to keep going. I'm I'm with you. I'm on board. Let's you know, let's. I'll vote, and it's a thing. You can trust me on that, and we don't even need to talk about it.
0: I think that's a very interesting thing because these the going straight to surrender because. I just think it would be, have a confusion factor that would be delightful. Yeah. Because yeah. they're trying to say, I know it's killed, been, but I think it's all made up by Bill Gates. And you just go, yeah, that sounds about right.
2: <laughs> yeah, because th- <laughs> they, they wanted to ramp, on, ramp up and get a good rage going, Matt.
3: Right. Yeah, right. yeah
0: they, they were expecting resistance, and you offered none. I think, that, I think that's going to be the winner for efficiency. What about for entertainment factor? Because here's, here's the one problem with, with Glenn's suggestion there is normally that's the point where you would pivot to, yeah, crazy thing. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, sure, it's made up. So anyway, are we going to get some relievers or what? Because you're still sitting in the backyard with this person now. Right. So if we don't want to do the immediate shutdown but keep it going in a way that maybe <laughs> entertains us, what can we do on that?
4: You have to outcrazy them. I, I think this oh, is relatively wow. straightforward. <laughs> Please explore this. Okay, so you know the thing is they they say, well, man, I you know, mean, I don't know much, but but you know from what I hear, you know, Bill Gates, man, he's he's using the the COVID vaccine to to put the robots in your blood, man. So that's that's what your your uncle says. That's certainly what my uncle would be saying, <laughs> and in that tone of voice. So, in, <laughs> like Boomhauer. Exactly right. Exactly. Jetzum was I'm... in
0: Vermont.
4: He just had a horrible, horrible <laughs> dental accident. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, in that moment, you gotta you gotta lean in real close and say. Oh you poor poor sheep you don't even know how deep the rabbit hole goes just as bill gates stole his technology from xerox so also his mind altering and soul destroying technology also stolen from xerox now what does xerox do uncle but make copies terrible oh, no. terrible <laughs> copies don't you know that's the end game of this all to make horrid <laughs> replicants Two-dimensional fabrications of Demonic destruction That's what they're doing that's what they're So go on, watch your Alex Jones And your Fox News, if that's the kind of Diet soda of truth you need But the real Americans
2: know How deep this all goes
1: Yeah, I think that that's, was fantastic uh, Right there that's, that's a solid strategy right there I think that's a winner
0: Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I want to be clear to the listener. Glenn said we, met, we were talking before the show. We were talking before the show like, oh, you know it would be funny if we talked like what to say when your crazy relatives say something. And then that spewed forth from a, a place very deep inside, Jed.
1: <laughs> now, I have a confession that when you, when you set this up and you said, you know, normally you would, you, you would talk about sports with your crazy relatives that have crazy political uh, opinions and conspiracy theories and stuff, I thought you're, the way you were heading that suggestion is that we would take all of these people with the crazy political opinions and force them to play sports, oh, for, okay. like for our amusement. And like, you know, you so you just have a lot of crazy old people trying to play football
0: you're talking about the, <laughs> the the COVID just truth bones, or decathlon.
1: Yeah, just bones snapping, and you know, <laughs> just just uh, just stretchers and people being carried off, and but you know, the rest of us could enjoy it on multiple different levels.
2: Well, i, I have a, I have a strategy that that may work for some people. It 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 works for me personally because there's an actual history attached to it, which is that I can't hear anything. And okay. I, I can't oh. hear anything because I was in a heavy metal band in high school and yeah. we had to practice in the garage with the garage door closed. And we had, you know, the cops called on us multiple times by by my next door neighbor. And uh, Mr. Fredrickson, everything's fine. It's just music, I promise. <laughs> but in any case, uh like th- this occasionally will happen in my house where Christy and I are watching a movie and I say, hey, hey uh hun, do you think we could? you think we could turn it up? And she would say, no, it's at the maximum volume. We actually can't There's no more volume. turn it up anymore. I could put some captions on, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then one time she actually looked at her, she pointed at herself and said, normal hearing. And then she pointed at me and said, hard of hearing. <laughs> and uh, and so I think one strategy is just somebody starts spewing their uh, nonsense and you just go, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. That's and when they explain right. it, Again. you just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what? and as long as they're on their crazy you just say i'm sorry what i I didn't catch that could you uh, i'm I'm sorry what like i just want (laughs) to see how many rounds could this game go well i was just trying to say that bill gates and the whatnot i'm sorry what i I, I I, (laughs) I like that i I, I didn't catch that could you could you repeat that well i think a
0: corollary to that which would be very entertaining for the person doing the deflecting is to uh engage in the kind of the toddler series of whys just until they lose their mind, just yeah. only responding with why. Why? I think it conspiracy. Well, why is that? As I saw him, were, why would you look at that? Well, it Bill Gates, but why would he do that? And just <laughs> see right. if you, how deep you can get him to dig.
2: It's fantastic.
1: Right. Yeah, I wonder how much of those, you know, crazy conspiracy theory, uh, you know, Crazy political stuff is just based on I know you 're not going to want to hear this, so if you if you actually say no go ahead i i 'm dying to know more about this if they just kind of lock up and you know wouldn't wouldn't be able to keep it rolling <laughs> like
0: that, I think the other uh, as we you know we live in the era of maybe social distancing uh, so I know some people are getting inundated via. Uh like Facebook forwards and links mm, to, you know, yeah. if you mm. gotta watch this YouTube video about the thing with whatever. And I think yes. the, the perfect response to that is to just uh find a YouTube video of like a Danish preteen playing Fortnite that's like seven <laughs> hours long and yeah. has eighteen million views for no reason, and just send that back to them. Yeah. Like I thought that was really <laughs> interesting. You should check this out.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, also the there ending is no will time. blow your mind, you know.
4: Yeah, just, you Here's, know, fun <laughs> Japanese game shows, just count. <laughs> That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's an actual strategy I've been using with, a, you know, because I got a lot of bizarre forwards um, that no one has called me on yet is someone will send me a, a thing that I'm definitely not going to watch because it's obviously something terrible, and I just respond, hey, thanks for thinking of me, man. Yeah, I've yeah, yet, yeah, yeah. And I've yet to have a single person be like... Sure. But did you, but did you watch the thing though? That has not happened a single time.
0: Right. That's excellent. I, I've been playing the, uh, the, the big gamble of the people who are going to hit all the Facebook forwards also have no idea how any technology works.
3: Yeah. (laughs) So I just haven't
0: responded to anything that's a forward. And if I ever get called on that, I, my plans just go, Oh yeah, I have my Facebook account. So, so it doesn't get those. (laughs)
2: Well, they (laughs) they don't know. You can't do that. That's fantastic. Has anybody ever tried to just literally physically stand up and walk out of the room?
0: Yes. I left like a family and- Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story. I, mean, I was like in my just 20s. Like just
2: stand up and, and
0: walk physically
2: out of the room
0: without saying yeah. any words. Twice. I had one relative who said, hey, do you have like a girlfriend or something? You ever talked about that part of your life? And I just got up and went into the other room. Thank and you. then they said something I didn't like, so I just left the whole house and drove away.
1: Yeah. That's <laughs> amazing. It sends a
0: pretty good message.
1: Well, yeah, and and uh you know the beautiful part is there actually isn't any regret. No.
0: No. <laughs> no one's ever walked out of an insane conversation and had the thought if I just held on for ten more minutes, that might have gotten yeah. normal. Man, that's I right. really
1: should have hung in
2: there. And when you do leave that gathering. You can just freely drive to Taco Bell and get a chalupa. That's that's the thing. That's taste taste of freedom and grease. Just a Mountain Dew and a chalupa. Somebody tell me how this is bad.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be the question later is, uh, you know, where did you go? And you could say, well, I I was thinking I could be in this conversation with you or I could be eating a chalupa. (laughs) and, And I have to say chalupa won hands down (laughs) yeah like it was a landslide it was like right away it
2: won all the battleground states yeah college educated voters
1: i mean you had me at chalupa i'm out of here so if you guys feel like you're you know somehow overcoming a chalupa then we'll, we'll give it another shot. <laughs> I love everything about
4: this. The, th- the way I'd really love to see this play out is if you explain this decision as though you were an HR professional giving bad news to a job applicant, <laughs> look, <laughs> look your, your dinner party brings a lot to the table. Okay, and right. it's, I think it's going to make someone very, very happy, as you know, a lot of great assets and, and a lot of, of you know, good stuff. Um, here's the thing. Chalupa was just much closer to what we need at this time. Um, that's right. And, you know, we're, right. we're sure you understand, and we just want to wish you well in all of your future endeavors. Yeah. Here's a packet. <laughs> <laughs> this and, insane uh, conversation yeah. just Coffee isn't really up. a culture yeah.
0: fit.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think
0: it, HR language is a strong, strong go.
1: And then you have to have security walk them out, right? That's right. A little cardboard box. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah, just, I'm sorry, your uh, your theory... About how that particular race of people runs all the media that doesn't actually fit our corporate's vision, so yeah. I'm gonna have to ask you to leave.
2: This is a weird suggestion. I know we're I know this emergency is running long, but has anybody ever thought of the strategy of just pretending that you were the director of a movie and just saying and cut?
1: No, we really need to try That's, that again. I need, I need yeah. oh, okay, That's another awesome. Back to one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> try that again. <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, you really came across as a complete and total butthead. <laughs> so right. can we really run that back? I'm, I'm going to give you the feed line again, and then you're going to act like an actual person. You ready? And action. This, this, i tell
0: you what. We test ran it. This character is just not likable. We have to go back to page one.
1: <laughs> this is a part where I tell you I've done that with my wife before. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just, I'm going to leave the room. I'm going to come back. Let's just, t- let's just start over again. See what happens. Back to the top. Back to the top. <laughs> Sometimes that's what you got to do because, you know, you, you get on the wrong foot and this ain't it. So let's try it again.
0: And if you would like to buy our new Say That clapboard to take to your <laughs> first family gathering, when that person starts going on about that thing from the news network they watch now because Fox is too liberal, he has to get out the clapboard Clap. You know, we're going to take, take two on that. Why don't you try saying something nice? And if you support Bridgebox, we'll even send a beret. Oh, yeah. Oh, That's true of every Bridgebox supporter. Keep checking the mail. Those of you who signed up, berets are very odd. Sometimes the shipping takes eight or nine years. So just keep checking. We're going to go ahead and declare, because we've pre-segued, go ahead and declare emergency off. Enroll into the plugs. Of course, you can sign up for Bridgebox at MissionUSA.com slash bridgebox. You can also join us every Tuesday at seven thirty Chicago time at the facebook slash the bridge Chicago for our bridge live stream. We sure hope you will check that out. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you this all the way to the end, I get some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links there. First question comes in anonymously. I believe this might be a piggyback on last week's emergency. It says, what is a culture war? Why are some Christians so fired up about it? Should I care? Lord. That is a pretty (laughs) strong summary of what you're going to hear in tone, but we will flesh it out a little bit more. And uh, Leah, I'd love to get you to kick us off as someone who grew up in the era you did attending the church Sheesh. you did, I think it's fair to call you a culture war veteran. So, if someone is a
2: little bit young or a little bit new to the idea, what on earth are we talking about? Yeah. Um, so, uh, real, real quick summary: in the 1970s, late 1970s, early 1980s, basically, uh, Christians and Christians of a certain persuasion decided that the key White. to bring <laughs> the key to bringing the kingdom to earth was basically – was literally to take over, actually to get Christians elected and promote Christian ideals. So basically they, they thought that if believers were in a place of power, then they would create a just society, just kind of a just place to live in. Um, and they would protect our values, and literally, the term "Christian values" and "family values" became uh, just kind of a call sign to all believers everywhere. Of like, you have to be behind this. So, they they basically went to war with everyone who wasn't them. They made crusades out of social and cultural issues. Turned outsiders into like enemies so with the, with the language was like, these are, this is us, this is them. And every single issue is us versus them. We will tell you how to vote. We will tell you what to think. We will tell you what music to listen to. And, um, and, and Jed and I are the same age and, and, and Jed grew up in, in the South as well and is actually a pastor's kid. So has been in more churches than any human being ought to have been in. Um, and, and so he can tell you that, that, that this was really the environment when we were growing up uh, was that the the christians uh, that you know just the Christians told you how to do everything, who to listen to, who to promote, who to vote for, who to listen to, all of that stuff now, uh, a couple of things that are important to realize about this and and the guys will break this down further, but uh, that all of these folks forgot that the point of the kingdom is reaching people with love that's the whole thing the whole thing is about love and that basically that that actual real individual change that happens in a person's life is a work of the spirit But what they did was they substituted the idea that you could actually – that Christians could change the laws and basically become kind of a city on the hill. We will take over the government. We will take over positions of power, and then we will make everything that's not Christian illegal. That was the actual mindset. And so mm. we will go to war against anything that 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 is against our Christian values. Now, the problem is that you won't find the term Christian values or family values anywhere in the Scriptures, like at all, ever. And the, the other thing you won't find when you read the Gospels is you will never find Jesus uh, going to war with anybody that was in a seat of power. Uh, he didn't talk about politics. He didn't deal with politics politicians at all he made one comment about one politician and he he called Herod Antipas that fox that's the only time that he ever did anything he said you tell that fox that I'm going to go do what I'm going to do and then in 3 days I'm going to accomplish my mission um I heard uh I'm going to steal this and I'll go ahead and give credit um but uh one time I was in a conversation with with Glenn and I said you know this person wants to know if I'm on their side or the other person's side. And Glenn said, an important thing that I always tell people is, I'm not on anybody's side. I uh, work with sinners. Period. The end. One of the things that the culture war Christians forgot is that every single person, including them, is a sinner. And that you should expect sinners to act like sinners. (laughs) Every single time that we should approach sinners with grace, love, forgiveness, and acceptance. And those are the most powerful forces in the universe. Uh, our job is not to get more power, to change laws, to make this world whatever, whatever, but to to love more and show people that that um, that Jesus loves them and that we love them because Jesus has found us and loved us. And that's the whole problem is that the idea of the culture war was— We will make this place awesome by taking over. But what Jesus did was started a subversive uh, campaign of just loving and accepting sinners and being on the side of sinners and showing them acceptance and grace and forgiveness and letting the Spirit of God work in people individually. It's a totally different way to see it. But that's where that whole thing came from.
0: A a really, really good uh, introduction and, and breakdown of that whole situation, I think is a great place to kind of um, leapfrog into what, what's wrong with it, how we might uh, be looking at that in its current form. And Jed, I'd love you to get to get you to pick us up here because um, I think one of the things that's been so successful with the idea of a culture war and been really misused is it is taking a very familiar and a very understandable dynamic of there are, there are bad things, there are dark forces, whatever. There's stuff that's described in the Bible as, you know, we should stand up for truth and all that. And it's given it a target that is not actually the target being described anywhere in scripture. So, how do we start to parse that out?
4: It's a great question, man. Uh, and I definitely agree with and echo of everything Lee said, no question. Um, one of the things I want you to imagine for a second that the only thing you care about is winning an election that's the only thing that matters to you is um getting your candidate to win okay so in order for that to do to happen you're you're going to have to get people to vote your way let's leave all other considerations aside here's the best way to get people to vote your way give them an enemy that's right that's how you do that if you want people to vote your way give them an enemy now You might have to make up an enemy where none exists. Well, don't worry. We're happy to do that, as long as we can give people an enemy, and then they'll vote our way. And the difficulty, as Matt has pointed out, is that Scripture makes it clear that other human beings are not our enemy. Uh, The Bible specifically says that our battle is not with flesh and blood. Mm-hmm um but for the sake of political power um people who who call themselves christians anyway for the last 40 to 50 years in the united states have made basically anyone who doesn't think like them or look like them the enemy um and we will vote on that basis i I don't think I need to explain why that is an incredibly sinful and wrong thing. Um, but there, there's two more things that need to be looked at because they're they're a big part of it. The first is, in addition to the Bible saying that our battle is not with flesh and blood, in other words, other human beings are not our enemies, it also makes it clear that we have no right to expect people who are not Christian to live by Christian standards. Um, a- i I'm going to read to you. This is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, basically, we're really just looking at, at verse 9 and 10. Um, but Paul here writes, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. Okay. In this moment, Paul's making something very clear, which is Christians do not have the right to hold non-Christians to Christian standards. That feels like something that
1: we— Say that again.
4: Yeah, well, I will then. Christians do not have the right to hold non-Christians to Christian standards. Amen. Uh, the Bible, again, that's in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, th- this is really, really straightforward. Um, but if you preach enough, if you pound the pulpit and pound the Bible enough and tell people that uh, you can and should judge those around you by Christian standards, um, then people ignore the Bible and they do that anyway. Here's the other big lie that um, it drives a lot of this culture war stuff is the idea that we are a Christian nation. (laughs) Yep. 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 Oh my gosh. We are not. We are <laughs> no. not, not, not. We never have been. We are not a Christian nation. First of all, that's an absurd concept. I don't even know what that would be. A Christian is someone who proclaims that Jesus is Lord. A nation can't do that. What is wrong with you? You can't have a Christian nation more than you can have a Christian pizza hut.
2: It's a, it's a pluralistic <laughs> society. It's
4: a pluralistic society. It always has been. And I have up here some numbers from the Pew Research Center. These are very reputable people, um, do a lot of, of good research. Uh, currently, um, about 65% of people in the United States would tell you that they are some form of Christian. But it's worth noting that um, that number a, is, is barely a majority, uh, and, and B, that's a little bit misleading when you realize the people that are massively involved in politics and using it as a weapon make up a much smaller piece of that. Um, evangelical Protestants, who are the people behind the culture war stuff, are about 25 percent of the U.S. populace. Um, That's not a a majority and not close to a majority. An interesting uh, anecdote, people who describe themselves as unaffiliated – you might have heard the sociological term nuns, as in I subscribe to no faith and no religion of any kind – are an almost identical percentage in the U.S. to evangelical Protestants. So I say all that to say that people got in the pulpit and they said, Mm -hmm. first of all, we're a Christian nation, which we're not. Then they said, non-Christians, they're basically guests in our Christian nation, and they should have to abide by our Christian rules, (laughs) which is in violation of the Bible itself. And then they said, you gotta come and vote so we can fight back and win the war against our enemies, these other bad people doing bad things, even though the Bible makes clear that other human beings are not our enemies.
0: (laughs) Yes, that is all very, very well put. As we move on here, I will cite a source, as someone with my education wants to do, uh, for uh, Jed's totally accurate statement that the uh, United States is not a Christian nation. This is from the Treaty of Tripoli, signed between the United States of America and the nation of Tripoli in 1797, uh, signed by President John Adams. Article 11 of said treaty reads, As the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion as it has in itself, no character of enmity against the laws, religion, or tranquility of Muslims. And as the States never entered in any war and it goes on about the war. So again, John Adams, maybe you've heard of him, not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. So a, a lot of really good stuff going on here, Glenn, with the, the, the history of this and the mm-hmm. ideas behind it. So let's, let's bring this up to today because, even with about 50 years of uh, desecrating their reputation and everything they ever actually wanted and uh, just kind of uh, stomping over the actual gospel for this stuff, there's still people today who want to fight a culture war. And what does that mean for us as people who don't want to be involved in a culture war, but do want to be involved as Christians and do ministry and live in a church community? How do we deal with that idea?
1: Well, I think it it is good for you to ask for the definition of this stuff. I think that is a, a good place to start uh, because uh, essentially what is being uh, perpetrated here or or, or or attempted to be accomplished is to take bigotry, misogyny, homophobia, xenophobia, and call it culture, mm. which is <laughs> just kind of... Really offensive to me, but it's the idea of I. You can't attack my culture. We're supposed to respect everyone's culture. My culture is I just really don't like gay people, so that's my culture. You have to respect mine if you're asking me to respect yours, uh. But uh, so you you might be listening to that and say um, xenophobia or or bigotry or homophobia. These things these are vices. That's not a value, that's not a culture, that's just uh, something wrong with you. Uh, and you'd be right, so it isn't a culture uh, at all. Um, and I think the the other thing uh, about the definition, you know, seeking a, a good definition for these things is the war part. Uh, what's, what's the war? In other words, if you say, I don't like gay people, and I i my values are under attack because people are saying i am I'm now being forced to be fair to them, and I really <laughs> want to not be fair to them so my value of not being fair to people who are different than me is under attack well you aren't under attack you're you're the disease that's attacking society with. The hatefulness and and, uh, prejudice and bigotry. So I think we have to understand that people are trying to—this is a uh, um, sort of a self-justification of I am under attack, my values are being attacked. When these are not actual values, these are just uh, you know you, you know as these other fellows are saying, you're you're saying this is what America is about or this is what Christianity is all about when it isn't about those things, and it really just boils down to I, I'm xenophobic, so I think treating immigrants poorly is a good thing, and uh, that's those are my values. Well, that's you. Know, th- that's just uh, something that is uh, a vice. This is a hate. Is not a value. So we can't uh, 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 play into that. We can't engage with that. But the the other problem with that when we when we start looking at how do we engage and how do we respond to these things is that uh, the people who are you know trying to be culture warriors or what have you. Are specifically looking to do something they call triggering uh, they're specifically looking to get you to be angry and respond with ugliness and hatred towards them because that reinforces the narrative that they are at war mm. you know i I open my my uh, uh, Facebook every day and people every day are calling me names and they're shouting at me and being ugly and rude and they're they're gleefully mocking me. And I am I'm in a war and I'm being attacked. Well, you know, here's the thing, they're just responding to something that you said that was ugly and name calling and what have you. But when you look at it from that point of view, it does kind of beg the question are we getting caught in a cycle where we're doing the same thing back to them that they're doing to the world, and we're just playing out this ugly cycle, and it's never really going anywhere? Is anybody's mind changed at the other end of this? If not, what what's the point of any of this? Certainly, we have to speak up uh, uh, without any doubt when we see things that are uh, misogynistic or homophobic or xenophobic or any of those kind of things. But I think we need to spend some time wrestling with how we do that and, and how to do that in a way that's constructive. War is destructive. How do we do that in a constructive way? How do we do that in a loving, grace-filled way? How do we do that, as, as Lee's pointing out, with, a, with an eye to understanding we're all sinners, we're all imperfect, we all uh, have our struggles? and be able to engage with people that are caught up in this mess and caught up in this ugliness and try and coax them towards something that's more human, uh, that's, that's more uh, in line with the actual gospel. I think it's worth uh, taking time as, as you wrestle with this uh, to seek God and, and say, Lord, how do I do that?
0: Well, that's all excellent, excellent stuff there, all, a lot, a lot of good Information. I'll, I'll throw a, a couple of quick things on the end here. Um, one is that, um, as these guys have pointed out, and it's not not because we want you to be angry or condemn people who are who are on this, but I, I want you to understand uh, where this all is. The the modern kind of uh, Christian right evangelical movement that you would think of with uh, Jerry Falwell and all the the kind of people who do that. Um, they they would tell you that that all goes back to the Roe v. Wade decision. And that's when kind of uh, cultural Christian conservatism became a thing. And that's not true. Um, In 1976, which is three years after Roe v. Wade, the Southern Baptist Convention passed a resolution encouraging Southern Baptists to work for legislation that will allow the possibility of abortion under such condition as rape, incest, clear evidence of severe deformity, and carefully ascertained evidence of the likelihood of damage to the emotional, mental, and physical health of the mother. Again, this 1976, Roe v. Wade passed 1973. I tell you that to tell you this. The actual thing that historians point to as the beginning of this movement was school desegregation. Hello. Mm. Because uh, Christian schools that wanted to stay white only, a uh, chief among them, things like uh, Bob Jones University, were going to have to forfeit their tax-exempt status if they stayed white only. That was the thing that animated the culture war, social conservative, moral majority, whatever you want to call it, Christian right movement, evangelical movement. Nothing about this is redeemable. Now, I'm not saying that your granddad or your 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 relative who listens to, to K-Love and talks about the culture war is inherently racist. That's that's not the point. The point is this whole movement is based, as these guys are saying, on stuff that is so anti-biblical, it, it is right. blood boiling. Um, it is nothing about this has to do with the Bible. This has to do with at either, as these guys are pointed out, getting enough political and social capital that you can make people do what you want, or, and this may be even more insidious, and this is one thing that's really worth investigating, the idea that making people act Christian is just as good as converting them in their spirit. Right. That's that's rough man that's again as we talked about with some other stuff recently that's really kind of the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing here cuz a lot of this hinges on the idea that Christianity is a culture and it's just mm. not yeah. um and whenever someone talks about this they pretty much mean suburban white american culture which uh one could argue is not a culture either i mean i like the cheesecake factory they have giant portions but it's not exactly a culture Um, (laughs) the idea that, um, to make someone Christian, to be Christian, to live a good and moral Christian life is to button your shirt all the way to the top and root for the home team and listen to Christian music. All that is not only wrong, if you don't uh, dig into it, it's really insidious and really shortchanges the gospel Yeah, because the gospel is something that is beyond and above culture. It is totally separate from that. There's... You know, the oldest Christian communities in the world are in Ethiopia. That's the oldest Christian art we have. That's that's Northern Africa. There's amazing Christian communities in China, in Brazil, Mm -hmm. in uh, Native American communities and everywhere in between. The idea that being Christian means not only voting a certain way, but listening to a certain music and boiling all that down to the idea of a culture, no matter what that culture is, Even if that culture didn't suck, which the one they're talking about super does, (laughs) is really not something we want to look at. So uh, that is why I really thought this was worth looking on the show, because when you hear an anodyne phrase like that, so we got to win the culture war and people behave, that sounds fine until you realize they're elevating that to this place where it's co-equal or superseding people living a life that is gospel-centered. And that's really, really something we don't want to be playing with all right we're gonna move on to our next question here which came in anonymously and it says it seems like when discussing a problem racism poverty etc christians say the real answer is the gospel i guess i agree with that but it also seems like a cop-out is quote-unquote the gospel always the answer i think it's a really great question a good timely question and jed where would we start
4: off It is a great question. We're glad she wrote in. Um, Your instinct is correct. It's a huge cop-out. Yes. It's a a huge, huge, massive, massive cop-out that in most cases is uh, an intentional cop-out. Um, and that's why it seems that way. I think that we want to look at why people are using that cop-out because I think actually the reasons vary a little bit, but yeah, no, it's, it's a total cop-out and this is the thing. We all know that. Um, I mean, if you wait for them to get a bad sunburn or a migraine headache, or you know, uh, uh, roll their ankle and then tell them, "Oh no, 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 no!" The gospel is the answer here. They, of course, will know that that's an absurd idea because <laughs> the the answer is you know, uh, aloe vera or Tylenol or an ankle wrap. You know, I mean, um, I- even aloe wanna... vera is the opiate of the faithless Jed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even if we if we want to to look at. The Bible, before sin had entered the picture, God looked at man in isolation and said it is not good for him to be alone. Um, the the idea that God and the gospel are the only things that anyone needs ever in any situation is not true and not biblical. Um, it, that's just not accurate. And again, it's, it's clear on the face of it that it's not accurate. The real question is, why are they saying that? Why are people using this cop-out? Because, again, I think there's a few different reasons for it, and, and, and you deserve to know what they are so that you can figure out with each person that you're dealing with what that might be. So one reason people use that cop-out, and, and I want to be clear, the following, none of these are excusing. Uh, Using a cop out, and certainly not on stuff that really, really matters, like fighting against racism or poverty. Um, But these are different, and, and you should know about them. So, the first is there are a lot of people who, if you ask them about something, if you ask them to even engage in conversation with something that they don't really know anything about, because that makes them uncomfortable their first instinct is to try and bring this conversation back to something they do know something about. All right. So you've probably seen this at play at dinner parties before, you know, uh, there's a guy who really loves talking about sports and then someone else talks about his mountain climbing adventure. And the first guy brings it back to sports again. Well, it's, you know, that's not the, the worst thing in the world exactly, other than just Maybe if you don't know about it, you could not talk for a while and listen and learn. That would be good. It would broaden your horizons. But a lot of people do that. When something comes up that they just don't know anything about, they, they want to bring the conversation back to the thing that they know about. So, you know, you bring up poverty and racism and say, you know what I think has a lot of interesting things to say about poverty and racism? The gospel, which is the thing I like talking about. So that's, that's kind of cop out number one. Cop-out number two uh, is related, which is I would have no idea how to fix any of these problems, so let me redirect this to a problem I feel like I could solve. Pastors do this a lot, like a lot, a lot. For a lot of pastors, if you bring up to them a problem that they don't know how to solve, for example, sy- systemic racism, their immediate instinct is, let's try and bring this back to something I feel like I would know how to solve, which is that people should become Christians. And these are these are pretty similar. Uh, they're, they're a little different, but they're pretty similar.
0: It's a but, problem of the heart, Jed.
4: Y- yeah, there you go. They're still cop-outs, but, you know. But then we get start to get into something that gets... Quite a bit less acceptable and quite a bit less cool, which is I don't want to do anything about this. So on that basis, I'm reframing it as something where I don't have to do anything. And that's super not cool. And there's a lot of that going on. I don't want to have to do anything about racism. I don't want to have to do anything about poverty. So we will talk about it as a problem that only has solutions that I'm comfortable pursuing. That's a lot of the cop-out that you're seeing. And um, again, that's supremely uncool. And then perhaps the the last one, which might be the the most uncool of all, is – I directly benefit from racism and poverty, so I am opposed to changing anything about those, but I don't feel like I can actually say that out loud. Therefore, I'm going to have a tagline that I use to basically end the conversation. And there's actually, it's more in the halls of power, but there's a lot of that going on too. The reason why I think it's important for you to have a sense of the different reasons people use similar sounding cop-outs is some of these people are more prepared than you might think to join you on a journey of doing something about racism and poverty. Mm. They're not going to be providing any leadership on it, but there's probably a chance that they might be willing to go with you on an adventure of of helping to make the world a bit of a better place. Some of these people are not interested and not open and are against the things that you want to see happen. They're just not telling you that. And it's important to have a sense of which is which, because even though the words sound the same, what's behind the words can be very, very different.
0: I think mean, that's a really, really great point, a great place to start this off. And Glenn, let me get your figures up here, and let's look at a situation where we got a little more towards the former than the latter, a little more of someone who doesn't, doesn't really know what to do, because I think there's actually something telling about this idea of, well, if they, if they, in a good faith sense, truly believe the gospel is the answer to this problem, there's the idea that if these people were just Christian, they wouldn't be mean. <laughs> Right. And there's a weird truth to that, but what it doesn't mean is if everyone just went to church and prayed a sinner's prayer, we wouldn't have poverty. (laughs) So there's still some stuff to do, right?
1: Well, yeah, I suppose you're making a darker point than I would if you're saying the real answer is the gospel, because I think you're implying that where there is racism, there are not true Christians who believe in the gospel. Uh, so that's white, but there's Christians. racism
0: here. Oh no!
1: <laughs> yeah, where there's poverty, that was your other example. That means there are people are not actually believing in the gospel. I can go with you on that, but I think that's a darker point than what you're trying to make. Is as Jed is implying, I think you're you're trying to get it onto something you're more familiar with. But I also want to pick up on really where Jed left off on that because, um, it's really important when you're trying to deal with any kind of problem, that the people around you see the same problem. It's not important that you have the same solution at all. It's important that you see the same problem. If we have 500 solutions to a problem, that's good because we might need more than one of these. We we might find out this doesn't work, so we have more options here. That's good. That's fantastic. It's when we see different problems altogether that we're going to have no real hope of having that unity. Uh, I happen to believe, uh, you know, my my theological uh, belief is that uh, since there are no two people who believe the exact same thing, that a lot of what we think of as a Christian unity is is an illusion. Is we we are on different pages more than we think, and if you go beyond belief into how our beliefs express themselves in our lives. Mm. Uh, that's very, very different. Uh, so I, could, I can go to church on Sunday and have less in common with the way I'm living my life than some of my unsaved friends who are not in this church on Sunday. So there's not a lot of unity in that. But the, the unity could exist and would exist if all of us in this room on Sunday morning are working on the same problem, which is I have a lot of funky stuff that needs to be dealt with, and this is a place where I come to deal with it. If we're all trying to fix ourselves and deal with our, our internal situations and work on ourselves uh, and encourage one another in that, then we can have all kinds of unity. But But again, that's all based around we're all on the same problem. We're all defining what needs to be worked on the same. From there, that's where... You know, if you want to fit the gospel into that, the gospel uh, comes in on what does the Bible have to say about this problem. So let me give you a, a tangible example. So take, uh, uh, you know, your, your poverty was one of the things you you mentioned there. I've been reading a bit about that and how it affects uh, racial uh, relations and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I came across this a couple of weeks ago. I had to write it down because it exploded my brain. So this is income inequality. So uh, the United Nations did a report, and they said, okay, let's take 225 of the richest people on, on Earth, and 225 people might fit in, let's say, a, a, a movie theater, average-sized movie theater, fairly comfortably. If we took those 225 people, just those people, and we took only 4% of their income, Here's what we could do, according to the United Nations. We could give basic education to everyone on the planet who doesn't already have it. We could also give safe drinking water to everyone on the planet, which is Mm. just the the fact that you could do both of those things with that same amount of money is is unbelievable. But you could also, with that same money, 4% of 225 people, Provide health care for every living <laughs> human being, also with that money, you could end human starvation from two hundred and twenty five people four percent of what they have that is completely insane to me that that is that is a mental health problem that's not it sounds like I'm saying something about morality i'm not i'm saying. Four percent of money you will never ever spend could ch- do that much da- change in the world, and you are thinking of keeping it to yourself instead. you have a mental health issue that's that 's just not sane that 's not uh, healthy and normal. We need to get you somebody because you have uh, some form of obsessive compulsive disorder here uh, but the the truth is we can 't just attack that in a political way and 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 have unity behind that, we have to take that particular situation and acknowledge that it exists—that's thing number one—and to see it in its proportions, as, we, as we, I've just laid it out. But that's where we come in and say, what does the Bible have to say about income inequality? What does the Bible have to say about this church has a lot of money— because they minister to rich people, and this church per- this church has very little money because they minister to poor people. The Bible actually has a lot to say about that. So yes, the, the the answer is the gospel. We we first need to see the problem and agree on the problem.
0: That's an excellent point. That's a great place to take that. And Lee, where do we cap it off?
1: Uh, well, I totally
2: agree with these brothers one hundred percent on this. And I think the interesting thing is for me. The more that I've grown in knowing Jesus, there's been an interesting revelation, which is everything that feels comfortable for Christians, we love to apply it to ourselves. And everything that feels uh, uncomfortable, we love to find somebody else to apply that to. Um, The interesting place that this comes down on this issue for me is that... You know, the, that I love to look at the idea that like, okay, uh, the, you know, the gospel is the answer for everything or whatever. Um, and, and it's true that the the gospel is the answer for something. The gospel, the, the the good news of Jesus is how I come to be forgiven of my sins and have a place in God's family and I get to have eternal life for free. That's great. That's awesome. And it's the beginning of the change that the Holy Spirit wants to make in a person's life. That's great. Um, the real question is at the places where it becomes uncomfortable and the kinds of statistics that you're mentioning, Glenn, or the kinds of things that Jeb was talking about in that first answer is, am I ready to apply any of that to myself now? Um, am I ready right. to look at the fact that what, what we like to do is to say, uh, you know, the problem is, uh, uh, person X needs Jesus. Yeah. Well, I love the way that Glenn said this, that that everybody has like that every every single two people have two different beliefs. Um, even if we say we both believe in Jesus. There's another problem though that uh that Glenn very graciously didn't mention to all of us sinners, which is I believe in Jesus and I'm still really, really whack. Yeah. Like I'm still not on all of Jesus' stuff. Right. You know, and so the, the like there's all of these things that Jesus wants to change about me. When the gospel comes into my life, that I start to see the world and care about the world in the way that he does, there's this there's this way of seeing the world that's like, all things being equal, when I come to know Jesus, I'm going to not be racist, and I'm going to care about the poor, and I'm going to be... All those things. That's all true, and that's all. that's all where this... That's all. Where this is going? That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I want that. Pro- I'm, I'm in that process, or whatever. The question is, um, where am I on that? And what does he want me to do with that? That I can't just say. Well, the answer is, if everybody believes in Jesus, then all this stuff will go away. Well, it would. That would be true if, if when you believe in Jesus, you become perfect. Has anybody right. that believed in Jesus immediately become perfect? Um and so if not, then there might be something I need to do right now. Like I might need to uh I might need to visit a prisoner. I might need to feed someone who is hungry. I might need to clothe someone who is naked. Um the gospel is the answer for uh getting forgiven of your sins and getting a place in heaven. The problem is is that All the other stuff about me doesn't get immediately fixed. I become a person who is now on a journey in a spiritual life. And that being the case, there is a lot of jacked up stuff that we need to face right now. And the scriptures are extremely explicit about what those things that Jesus cares about are. Um, He's clear that if your religion doesn't lead you to being a person who feeds the poor and clothes the naked, um, that if your religion allows you to harbor hate in your heart to somebody else, um, then it's a sham. And we need to address that, and we need to look at it, and we need to be willing to talk about it. Uh, because if I think that i 'm in when i when I have all of this stuff and it doesn 't grow or i don 't care about the mistreated and stuff like that, then I need to look at it again. I might not have understood the gospel the 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 really really shocking and and difficult thing to grasp for a lot of Christians is that people who have carried the torch of Christianity have done and excused horrible things that the Bible is massively against, and not only that. They have used the Bible to defend those things, and so we can't just paint uh, over this whole problem and say, "Well, if everybody loved Jesus, then we would be, uh, then all this stuff would disappear." Well, that's if everybody becomes perfect immediately. That doesn't—that isn't the case. So let's get to work. Let's find out yeah. what Jesus cares about, and let's get to work right now. And and let's talk about what the problems are. Let's listen with a lot of humility, and let's get to work.
0: Amen. Excellent, excellent stuff. A great place to land that. We move on to our final question here, which comes in honestly and says, in Matthew ten thirty four, Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I'm confused by that. He yells at Peter for having a sword in the garden and says, whoever lives by the sword dies by the sword, and he is the prince of peace. So what does that verse mean? A great question. And Glenn, where would we start off?
1: Well, you're absolutely right. As you've broken that question down, it, it can't mean that Jesus came to bring a literal sword, such as Peter had in the garden. Uh, And so it's clearly a figurative sword of some kind. Uh, And uh, he is a prince of peace, and, and by that he means inner peace, that we would have peace within our hearts that he gives to us. So when he's talking about He's not coming to bring peace that can't be referring to that inner peace, uh, but he's saying, I'm bringing this sword that is it, that is dividing and uh, that that uh, will not be uh, a, a peace, a moment of peace, but a moment of division. Uh, so here's the thing about that, uh, maybe just a clue that helps us figure this out. Uh, the the word the Greek word there for peace is arene, and it's actually a pretty common word in the the in the New Testament. And you'll uh, every time you read the word peace, it's going to be Irene. So that's kind of what that is. Uh, if we look at the literal meaning behind the that that holds up that word is is the word. Aro, and it means to to join or t- tie together as a whole. Think almost like a weaving a cloth, uh, and that idea of unity and harmony, things working together, and having a, and a sort of a structural integrity through uh, binding together. That when when the New Testament refers to peace, it's referring to that kind of situation. Uh, but Jesus is saying, "I'm taking a metaphorical sword, and the sword is dropping." And some people are going to fall on one side of that sword, that metaphorical sword, and some people are going to fall on the other side. So the real question that that we're wrestling with then is, what is this dividing? Who's on either side of this division? I think if you ask most people, they would say believers and non-believers— and if you if if you're really sold on that uh, uh okay uh i think you could i think you can make that case i think it it works um i think if if you say um uh, jesus is is saying you need to make a decision and that decision is to follow me or not to follow me to 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 call me savior or go your own way I think that holds up, and I think that the, the context of that uh, that particular verse would support that. But you know, I think as as I've meditated on this and look at the gospel as uh, gospels as a whole, and you know, kind of do all the pluses and minuses on that. Here is where I think this sword is falling that Jesus in particular is, is talking about, and it's separating the righteous from the self-righteous. Mm. Uh, I think everything we, that you see in Jesus' life, he was being attacked by self-righteous people. Uh, people who thought of themselves as holy, people who thought of themselves as God-fearing, people who believed that as they were attacking the Son of God, that they were doing that in a very biblical way. Mm. Uh, these people were self-righteous. Our first question was about culture war stuff, and that those are people who are declaring themselves righteous without really investigating whether this is what God wants them to be on, and people who are actually living a righteous life trying to bring uh, people to the foot of the cross who are different uh, and, and who are not saved and are not living a godly life now, those people are being attacked and, 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 and being um, in conflict with self-righteous people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so I think that's where the sword really divides Uh, I don't think it divides uh, uh, so much people who, in in other words, I think people who are unsaved are closer to deciding to follow Jesus in a real and tangible and visceral way that self-righteous people don't have nearly the same hope of. Because they've decided, I've already got it down. I already know what I need to be on. I don't need to ask God if this is the right thing. Uh, and so I can just go in this direction and justify all of it, uh, because I, I have declared myself to be righteous on this and no one else needs to have a, a say in that. So that's my take on it. Uh, you, you can, you can read that verse how you want, but, uh, I think that's that I, in my, uh, from my perspective, I think that's what Jesus is actually trying to say.
0: A uh, really great place to start that off. It was a really fascinating and, and interesting and great take on that. Lee, I'd love to, to get you to maybe step up and let's pull the camera back a little bit because I think Glenn did such an amazing job on digesting that verse on what Jesus was saying there. There's also a kind of underlying um, tension, maybe, that's exemplified by this verse, which is there's a lot of uh, language Jesus uses that's about division, that's about this and, yeah. you know, set brother against brother and, you know, who are my father and mother. And on the other side, there's a lot of uh acceptance and peace and joy mm-hmm. and togetherness. And how do we reconcile and think about those two aspects of Jesus' character and how they uh coincide
2: and interrelate? It's a really that's a really interesting question. It's funny because the, the world that we're living in right now, um, I love that you use the word tension, Matt, and setting that up because but the world that we we're living in now there's all these bizarre tensions in places that in kind of quarters that you wouldn't have assumed that they would come from like i don't know if you if you three guys have had this uh this uh experience but sometimes during these days uh you can get in a conversation with somebody who's a believer in Jesus and they just assume that you're on that mega like super, you know, culture war, Christian moral majority type of thing, and they just start talking to you as if, like, you're on the team. Like, they handed you a jersey, yeah. Yeah. and they, they're, they're wearing theirs, and they just assume, because they know that you know Jesus, that you're with them on all of that stuff, and then you have to uh block them on Facebook forever. And... Um and then and I don't know if you brothers have had this conversation th- this experience where you talk to somebody that is definitely not a believer about some of the exact same issues and realize man I am so much more aligned with this person who does not claim Christ in any way who is without knowing it displaying the The heart and the attitude of Jesus a thousand times more than this other person that I was talking to who claims to love the Bible and Jesus and the whole deal yep there's a there's a weird thing going on where when a person is born the like theologically speaking uh, and according to Romans chapter five, I was the enemy of God. <laughs> I I just wanted to live my life my own way. I didn't want to be told how to do anything, and it, it's kind of like uh, you know. And and God gives people the uh, he, he gives people the respect of handing them the keys to their life. And and when if God hands me the keys to my life, I'm going to wrap it around a tree. Like I'm just I'm I'm going to wind up in a ditch. It's going to be upside down. That's the way I do. I just I'm just going to wreck the thing. I was the enemy of God. That's what, the, that's what Romans chapter 5 says. And Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, uh, that same chapter says, he gives me peace with God because of his death on the cross and forgiving me of my sins and my enmity and my rebellion from God, he gives me peace with God. In that respect, he is the Prince of Peace. But exactly as Glenn's laying out, his heart... The way he cares, the way he sees the world, that brings down a sword of division. When when Jesus tells Peter to put away a sword, he's telling him to put away a literal tool of violence. He says, that's not what we're going to do. In a way, we're we're kind of hearkening back to our first question, talking about the cultural wars, the idea that if I had power, then I would make the world what I want it to be. And Jesus flat out told his guys, that's not what we're doing. We are not going to take over by power. We're not going to take over by brute force. We're not doing that. We're going to put away the tools of violence. We're going to put away the tools of power. But he does bring a division because the way he sees the world is not the way that the human heart wants to see the world. And there are people who, are, who claim to know Jesus who are vastly against the way his heart sees the world. And there are people who don't know Jesus at all, who are actually quite in step with the way that he sees a lot of things in the world. And what I've found in my experience is that walking with Jesus has brought a division in my life with certain people who I'm just not aligned with them anymore, I found myself at a point of division. Jesus found himself in a point of division with his own family, with his own relatives. He he called people who were not his relatives his family, and he called people who were his relatives not my family. <laughs> That's a very that's a very difficult statement for people to deal with, for people to accept. But I found that to be true in my own life. I found people who are my relatives to be the least family of anybody on the planet. And I found people who are not related to me in any way, genetically, to be the dearest family that I hold in this world. And that's because... Jesus, who brought me peace with God, who comes in as the Prince of Peace, who brought me peace with God in saving me and redeeming me, has caused me to have a lot of division who see the world in a completely different way than he does. And the more aligned I become with his heart, the more divided I become with certain people who are not on what he's on.
3: A
0: very, very well put. And definitely, we all agree with every bit of that. Jed, where will we close this out?
4: I don't think that there's anything I could possibly add to what Glenn and Lee have already said. So I'll give you the four dummies version, Um, and that would be to say doing the right thing is always polarizing. Um, I don't think that – I don't think there are any exceptions to that. It's – one of the kind of lies of American Christian culture is that if you do the right thing that you'll be celebrated for it. Wow. Um, and <laughs> that's, that's just not true, man. Um, doing the right thing is polarizing and pretty much always. And, uh, if you're not sure, try setting some simple boundaries with your family members. Mm. It's the right thing to do. It's the healthy thing to do. It's the Christian thing to do. You will find it very polarizing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I, I don't think that that exactly has to be bad news, um, but I, I think I think it is important to to know what you're dealing with, to to know what you're getting into. Jesus frequently talked about counting the costs, um, and I think just like both Lee and Glenn are saying, um, you know, this business of following Jesus and of living a life where we we try and do the actual right thing. It, it is polarizing, man. It's going to create some division. Uh, it's going to create division with people who, who should be the closest people in the world to us and, and are not. Um, but if there were one thing other than the summary that, that I could add to, to build on what these brothers have already said, it's that it also leads, I think, to the best things in the world. Um, it leads to god 's kingdom coming on earth um, in in big ways and little ways, and it leads to blessings and satisfaction in our own lives that there is no other way to get to. Uh, Glenn was talking on our previous question about people who who quite literally have all the money in the world, um, and the one thing they can 't buy is any sense of satisfaction mm. um, if you if you want satisfaction in your life. In my experience, it's found uh, down the very polarizing path of following Jesus Christ.
0: All very, very beautifully put. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. You can also always check us out at missionusa.com slash bridgebox, or join us every Tuesday at 7 30 or yes. whenever it's convenient for you, because all the videos are archived of our bridge live cast every Tuesday, 7.30 Chicago time, Facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. We're gonna take you out with some old school bridge music here back when we could have an entire audience to sing along with Jed. This is a song called Bigger Than My Fears. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Just
3: remember we love you, God
0: bless you. There's nothing we can do. You. God, I'm here and
3: I'm- I'm afraid of here and now Cause I'm tired and I need you to take this off of me God, I know you can handle this Even though I don't always feel it Cause you're strong and you're fierce and you're fair. a lie that's killing me Cause I'm not song. Here we go, sing the swimming now. for, cause I'm out, I need more, so that's what I'm asking for.